a Mitch and Jeremy exclusive. Are you ready? On air. Online. On your smart speaker and wherever you stream. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it. Huge Thunder fan, as you know. So uh, let's get right into this. Uh, the new album, uh, Dopamine, is out uh, everywhere on uh, April 29th. It is a double record because you can never get enough uh, Thunder, as we say here in Montreal. Uh, bonjour, Monsieur Luc Morley. Comment allez-vous? How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's an interesting, busy time, which is good, you know, because the last two years have been kind of strange. So it's good to be in a, it's good to sort of feel like we're back at the helm of uh, of everything and, and uh, talking to people like yourself and and uh, you know, it looks like our tour actually will go ahead this time. And so yeah, so we're we're feeling good, we're feeling optimistic and and you know, back in the game. And it's good to be back in the game. So, so let's talk about this. The, the last few releases, Wonder Days, uh, Please Remain Seated, and all that, they always came with the deluxe edition with bonus tracks, and you get three here and four there, and this, and this time you just said, "Ah, oh, the hell with it. We're just going to give you everything." Um, Pretty much. That's about the size of it. I mean, we didn't, you know, we didn't sort of set out to make a double album particularly, but we, I think that we felt. Um, probably about uh, halfway through the process of making the album of recording, we felt that we had a lot of really, really good tunes this time. Um, and just that, you know, we sort of maybe thought, talked about it and said, well, maybe it might be a double, who knows? You know, this is kind of crazy time to make a double album, especially since <laughs> it's only a year after the last album. But, you know, if the tunes warrant it, if the songs warrant it, then, you know, then we'll go with it. And we felt, having recorded 20 songs, the 16 of them just had to be heard. Uh, and so that's a double album. So we went to the label and said, okay, 16, and that's all you're getting. <laughs> so it's a double album. Uh, None of this about- extra format, CD, track, and blah, blah, blah. You know, just the, just one thing. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, I'm happy because in the in the previous releases, I've had to buy like six versions of every album. So yeah, which is, which is kind of crazy. And, and it's, you know, yeah. we wanted to kind of circumvent that as nicely as possible. Um, and, you know, hopefully we've managed to do it this time. When you release a double album, or certainly in the past or historically, it has been some kind of statement. You look at uh, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway by Genesis or others, they're, they're, they're saying something. Are you saying something with this one, or is it just we had so much good material that you know? Is it a statement, or is it just riches? Um, I guess it is. I mean, we, like I said, we didn't sort of set out to do it, but I guess it is. I think that w- what we're doing maybe um, after this t- may have taken us fourteen albums to get here, but I think we're at the point now where we have a very good handle on who we are and what we do right. and, and how we do it. And I think maybe this album. Um, it's in terms of its kind of musical uh, height and breadth and depth um, goes a bit further than any of them have gone so far. So, yeah, I guess it is a statement of our kind of, um, you know, the fact that we're we're comfortable with kind of going off in a few different musical tangents um, and, you know, being still being able to stamp our style all over it and for it to be a thunder, even though it might be a little different here and there. Let me explore that a bit, because you have gone off on tangents in the past. You you have done your own thing. I mean, Please Remain Seated is certainly one of them. Of course, the the Bose and Morley, your El Gringo Retro, all this stuff. 
you've gone out and yet magically you've remained thunder now of course boys and wasn't thunder but you, you you've stayed thunder talk to me about taking those chances and not being i don't want to i don't want to disparage acdc but you know you haven't done just one thing but yet when we hear it we know it's thunder well, I think, you know, this, the ACDC is a, is a really good case in point of a fantastic rock and roll band. Um, right. And Absolutely. I think they, they, what they do is they have a, I guess the, the parameters of what they do is, is, is very tight and it's, you always know what you're going to get with an ACDC album. Um, and so within that, then it's really getting how great the songs are. Right. Um, you're not going to, they're not going to suddenly kind of, Give you a jazz sort of a fusion <laughs> track or a, yeah. or reggae. You're not you ain't getting that with ACDC. But I think with us, we always felt. I think we've always felt that if it was the we felt it was the right thing to do and the song demanded it, then we go there and, and and damn it, you know. And I think this album, we even more so perhaps. I mean, you know, there's some unusual unusual songs. Uh, the first one that leaks out of me is Big Pink Supermoon, which is a kind of uh, yeah, I love it. I, I think it's fantastic. Big, Thank you. I mean, it, it, to me, that's kind of, it reminds me of a lot of great music, a lot of great American music, actually. Um, and um, it was only in the kind of, I made the demo of the song at home and I thought, oh, this is quite cool. It was kind of, it started off almost like being like a Tom Petty kind of tune. Right. And then once the band got hold of it, it, it sort of got this kind of darker, jazzier thing going on. And um, and I, we were sitting there. My original intention was it was going to have a guitar solo at the end, and, and, and it was going to go out at maybe five minutes or something. And then I just, for some reason, I just thought it might be cool, cool to try a sax solo. We've never done it, um, and saxophone is an instrument that was kind of abused in the eighties. Um, yeah, well, listen, we love foreigners, so let's not. <laughs> well, I, I mean, no, I love foreigner too, but it's just that you know there were lots of very kind of uh, the saxophone became a kind of. Right, As the stamp of middle of the road, didn't it? In the eighties, it wasn't before. I mean, in the seventies and sixties, you know, guys like Junior Walker, you know, uh, oh my God, Crusaders. I mean, it was fantastic. It's a great instrument. It's a really dirty, sexy instrument, just like a guitar. Yeah, and then the eighties, you had Phil Collins, Quarter Flash, Foreigner, uh, Queensrÿche. Everybody thought, let's put a saxophone yeah. in here. I'm, and there was I'm kind on. of a little too much for me. There was a little too much of it, and it always had a kind of weird chorus effect on it in the eighties, right. which kind of took the edge of it for me um so um i think you know once once the kind of i i the idea the guys looked at me as if i was insane and i said well i trust me on this because i, I think it's you know in the context of this song i think it's going to work great and and uh, andrew griffiths who played the solo did such a fantastic job he sent us two because we he did it we did it remotely and he sent us two passes on the track both of which were brilliant and the biggest problem was choosing one but um we did and it was so good that we just couldn't pull the fader on the track. We had to let it play out right to virtually the end. And uh, yeah, I'm delighted with that song. But yeah, once again, it's it's a, it's a different thing for us. Um, uh, but the song demanded it, so we went with it. You, know? you went with it. Uh, let me just quickly explore. Uh, I mentioned, of course, Bose and Morley and uh, El Gringo uh, Retro and stuff. You've you've worked outside the band. You've done these records. You've done the Union. Is is Thunder the sort of the project that is most satisfying, or or do you want to get back to hey, you know what? In a couple of years, let's take a break and let's go do another Bose and Morley. Let's go do another solo, or is it like yeah, you know what? I'm home. This is home. I I, I know that now. I think to to be honest with you, Mitch, I think it, it's it's um, I think all of us um, you know love being in Thunder. We've all all of us always have loved being in Thunder, right? 
Um, in the past, when we've not been in thunder, it's because it's because because of external forces. Um, and I think that you know we remain friends every time we've stopped, and I think we'd always remain friends whatever we did. Uh, but I think now maybe you know the, the the reality is you know we're we're all past we're all the wrong side of sixty years old now. So you know there's a certain that brings a certain sharpness to the. Um, to the proceedings in that, you know, who knows how many more records we'll get to make. So right. I, I can't see any reason why we would stop making Thunder Records, but uh, by the same token, I can't see why we would still also be involved in other projects if they were kind of right. felt like the right thing to do. But I think we wouldn't, the, I think in the world we're in now, we wouldn't have to stop Thunder to pursue that. I think well, yeah, I, I, and I wasn't suggesting you'd have to stop Thunder, but is there a point where you say to yourself, hey, you know what, in 2024, let's take a break. Let's take one year of just us. You know, you know, and be Luke for one year, and then come back to Thunder in 2025. That's what I'm suggesting. I'm not suggesting a breakup in any way, shape, no, or form. No, no, I, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, I, the, the answer to that is I don't actually, you know, I'm, I'm too old and long in the tooth to say that. You know, I don't think it's going to happen. It might happen. I don't know. There are no plans to do that at the moment. But right. you know, I think that we, um, you know, we're kind of really enjoying this kind of patch we're in right now, right. And, and I think we'll, you know, we'll keep. Keep going with that. I mean, I, I think it's uh, you know the, the the positive side of, of the pandemic for me was that it gave me a massive window to uninterruptedly write songs. Um, right, and th that's kind of maybe one of the reasons this is a double album. Um, and I have more songs sitting around as well. So you know, it's a uh, it's it's been very productive. So uh, we'll see where that takes us. Um, you know quite where the live side of the industry is going we don't know because there's massive log jams uh, in in europe with with venue availability and uh, and brexit of course hasn't hasn't really helped either so <laughs> no. it's it's a kind of strange time um and i think we're maybe you know a year to 18 months away from the the live aspect of of, of, the, of our business particularly on this side of the pond to that kind of settles into some kind of normality again right. Um, yeah. So who knows? Yeah. And, and you know, it, it is something to consider because yesterday in the news, uh, one of the huge New Zealand uh, promoters folded after 30 yeah. years. And that's that's where that's the reality. It's that yeah. we're, we're teetering on the brink. Um, uh, so I'll just finish with, with that question then. So creatively, then you're exactly where you need to be. There's no longing for. Oh, I, I got to go do a jazz guitar. I mean, you're, you're creatively, you're exactly where you need to be. Then, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I write songs. So that's what I do. So, um, you know, if God Almighty, I mean, if there, if there were a load, of, if I suddenly wrote a load of songs that that weren't right for Thunder or the band didn't feel comfortable with, then, then you know, maybe. But I, right now, um, you know, every, everything is 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 rosy in the garden and. Um, you've, of course, produced other uh, artists. You've done Amorettes and, uh, and, and a bunch of other stuff. Is that something also that you want to keep doing and, and sort of go outside and sort of flex your, your muscles on the outside? Or, do you, or as we get into 2022, 2023, 20, it's just like, you know what? Eh, thunder's enough. <laughs> Well, I think I think the thing is is that um, it depends where we are in the cycle of thunder. That's the thing. Okay. Um, you know, most of the time when I've done other things outside, it's always been when a window has presented itself. Okay. Uh, for me to do that, and it's been possible. I mean, we both 
Amorex albums and um, I produced a lady called Heather Finley as well, so mm-hmm. who was much more in a kind of prog sort of area. And it, all great fun to do um, and really good. And I think the nice thing about working outside of, of the band is that it always I always feel like I'm bringing something back afterwards because every time you work with a different artist, you learn something. You grow in, in some way that maybe you didn't think you could. And, you know, that's the inevitability uh, and the kind of that's the, that's the joy, I guess, of variety. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, love, I, I did promise myself before Wonder Days when we got back together, you know, how, how we kind of went forward. Um, I did say to myself that, I, you know, what I must do is every few years take on a project, whatever it is, you know. Um, I, and so I've, I've tried to do that, you know, um, and I, you know, I went and played guitar on a few shows with Black Star Riders, which was great fun. Yeah. So it's nice to do those little things, um, you know, and and because uh, it makes you appreciate Thunder more as well. So, you know, it's all good. <laughs> Um, let me ask you about Wonder Days real quick. That was, in a sense, the the comeback album. Um, was there consternation or stress on that one? Because ha- had it been a dud, we might not be talking today, but you came back with such force. I mean, I heard that album, and I heard the song Wonder Days, and the song Wonder Days, and um, what's the other one on there? The, the Thing I Want? I mean, you hear that, and you just go, top of their game. I mean, this band's on. Um what was that like going into that recording session? Did did you have that conversation? Just say, well, maybe we should just go be a greatest hits band and go go play the fifteen and not bother with the new stuff. Or did you say, man, this has got to be not only good, but this has got to be spectacular? Yeah, I, mean, I think we we were very aware of that. I think that we you know when you we, at that point we hadn't made an album for six seven years or something. So you know the fact that we were coming back together again. You know we wanted we wanted to make sure that people knew it was serious and that it wasn't just to sort of do a few gigs and make an album so we could do a few gigs. It wasn't that at all. You know, right. we're, we're not the kind of people who, um, who go at it half-heartedly. I think we, I think all of us, I mean, my, myself and Danny particularly are the kind of people who are, uh, once we decide to do something, we will do it, you know, 120%. And, um, right. You know, and I think with Wonder Days, maybe having a break before that, and you know, like I said, I, I'm three albums with the Union in that in that time, and I think I brought something back from that. Like we were saying just now, I think that gave me a kind of impetus, and it was really in, quite interesting to go back to writing writing tunes for Thunder after the Union. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was an album that we we had to it had to be good, um, right. and we we needed to be we needed to feel very good about it before we put it out. Yeah, and, and it, it turned out spectacular. Um, like uh, the band FM, when you both came back, you've gone on this blitz of writing and putting out music. Um, how important is that to what you do? Because you could sit there and say, listen, we'll do the Backstreet Symphony album tour. We'll do the 20th anniversary, the 25th anniversary. The th-. You know, you could do that and people would show up. Um but you haven't. You, you've gone, here's Wonder Days, here's Rip It Up, here's Please Remain Seated, here's here's Dopamine. We're, we're not living on 1992. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, I think, you know, all that kind of, um, you know, people have very rose-tinted spectacles about the past. They always do. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, Backstreet Symphony, Life on Judgment Day, those are early 90s albums. Obviously, people are very emotionally attached to those because it reminds them of a certain time in their life. And that's fantastic. And that's what music should do. It's, you know, it's it's like a time machine. That's exactly what it should be. Um, But um, we as, you know, creative types want to keep moving forward too. So there's always that kind of trade-off. 
You know, I mean, it's like if you go and watch a band and they play um, 100% songs from their last album or new album or whatever, and they have, a, like ourselves, have a 30-year history, it's a little kind of self-indulgent. I think people yep. people work hard for their money, and if they earn their money and then they spend it, you know, if you're lucky enough for, for them to spend it on your gig, then you have to give them a, a good balance <laughs> you know, two hours of entertainment, I think, to be indulgent and say, well, this is our new album, you must like it, you must listen to it and nothing else, I think is silly and, and, and kind of short-sighted. So we're always uh, we're always aware of our past and, and ha- happy to acknowledge it. Uh, to go completely the other way, and I know Leopard did it recently, didn't they, with Hysteria. Um, I think it's an, interesting, it's an interesting thing to do, but I think as soon as you make that decision, then you're kind of limiting what the live set can be slightly. Right. So I think if ever we did do a kind of retro-type gig, I think we'd probably have to find a way of doing it that was slightly different. But, I mean, that's not in not in the pipeline at the moment. Um, but yeah, do you know what I mean? I think we'd have to, rather than say, right, we're just going to play Backstreet Symphony or we're just going to play Laughing on Judgment Day, I think we'd have to find a way of doing it that, that maybe was a bit more kind of challenging for us in some way. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll suggest this. Uh, Peter Gabriel did the So Tour in, in 2012, and he did it brilliantly. The first half was all the songs uh, acoustic, so Games Without Frontiers, Shocked Among, all acoustic. So you're like, oh, yeah. I heard the hit, but it's not the hit. It's different. Yeah. And then he came out and did the full album. And I, I just thought that was brilliant because he, he sort of talked through it. You know, the first one, like it was like a conversation, more like a storytellers. And then, uh-huh. boom, here's the album. And I was like... That's smart. That's, yeah. Um, speaking of, of songs, so you, you said, you know, uh, on uh, Big Pink Moon, you had the, the, the sack, and you had all... There are a lot of thunder songs and thunder shows and Christmas shows and all this stuff lying in the vaults, lying around. They've been put out on dodgy records and then off the market. And at some point, do, do we see ourselves putting together some kind of box set or bonus tracks or just saying hey we've got all this stuff let's use it we've had, we have had conversations about it um and uh, those conversations are ongoing but nothing is decided as yet um okay. so I, obviously you know it's, it's a lot of it's a lot large body of work and it yeah it would be nice to kind of you know get it out there in a more kind of organized fashion maybe so yeah those conversations are ongoing but i, I can't tell you any more than that at the moment because nothing is cast in stone all right so so maybe someday um let's talk a little bit about the writing process for this one because you of course had uh we've had the pandemic and and you were s- stuck in your home basically was this album constructed the same way uh, that you normally do or was it more let's throw the files back and forth through email and let's re- record our guitar parts and throw that back and forth through email. What was the process to get these songs put together? Well, the process really, the one thing about the pandemic and the way Thunder make records, it didn't really change anything in as much okay. as that, you know, I have a little studio in my house where I sort of demo all the songs and then I'll basically send the songs in there, sort of basic format out to the guys and then we'll convene in the studio and then we'll, you know, we'll take it from there. Um, and and that's pretty much what happened on this album too. Now, obviously, the only difference was that the uh, we had to be kind of a lot more kind of focused when we were in the actual uh, recording, when we were at Rockfield in the proper studio, if you like, because we had to get ourselves tested. Uh, you know, we had to go through all the COVID rigmarole and the protocols to, to, once we were there. So that kind of sharpened our focus, I think, a lot. Um, and 
also the fact that um, you know Ben's been through the wars again, you know, with yeah. his second second sort of bout of dealing with cancer. So Ben wasn't around for the fir- for the, for a lot of the first session. So um, you know, like I said, we had to be extremely focused and and and, and know what we were doing. The only thing maybe that uh, was a little different this time is that a lot of the guitar parts um, I'd, I'd done at home, um, right. and they kind of felt good with when the rest of the band. Um, kind of started playing, it kind of felt good with the demo guitar part. So it's like, well, maybe I'm just going to leave a few of them because they kind of, they're like, so a lot of the solos were one take and felt nice, you know. So maybe we'll just kind of go with it. And I ended up doing that quite a lot. And that was actually quite a cool thing for me because being a person that produces the records as well, it allowed me to kind of not have a non-musical role while we were recording. Now, of course I was playing, but it, I knew that what I already had was was pretty good. So it, you know, I didn't have to. I could relax completely and, and concentrate on the on the bigger picture, maybe a little bit more. Um, so that's maybe the only difference. Everything. I mean, you know, God, we've been doing this a long time, Mitch. <laughs> yeah, I know, and 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 you capture the spirit uh, perfectly. I got to say. Um, I, I asked you this once before on a phone interview, but I'm going to ask you this question again, just because I I can see you face to face and I can see sort of the reaction, but. You have been with Danny Bowes forever. I mean, mm-hmm. you, 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 you basically, you know, came out of the same maternity ward at this point. What does Danny mean to you, uh, just uh, professionally, because his voice has propelled your guitar parts and your guitar parts have propelled his voice. I mean, it's, it's a combination of, of pure heaven. But what does it mean to you also um, uh, personally? Because when you weren't a band, when you broke up, and did the farewell tour, you still stayed in contact. You still did Bose and Marley. You still were friends. I mean, it's not like you threw them out in the garbage. Um, <laughs> what, what does he mean to you uh, professionally and, and, and personally? Well, I think, you know, we've known each other since we were children. That's the thing. We, yeah. we were 11 years old with it. And we're now, you know, it's 50, that's 50 years ago. So we've known each other half a century. Uh, we grew up together. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a massive shared experience uh, and uh, lots of common areas in music, life, social life, everything. I mean, you know, the part of London we, we grew up in. So a lot of, lots and lots of shared experience. And um, that is the thing that I guess you only kind of, over that period of time, you only kind of share that usually with family members. Right. Um, so I guess we, we're like brothers in that sense, um, you know, there's a, there's a telepathy between us in that we don't have to talk about some things because we know how the other one's going to feel. We can assume stuff about each other uh, and be hundred percent right, which is also interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, something like brothers. I mean, uh, you know, in that sense, um, and that's an amazing thing, you know, because lots of bands don't manage to kind of keep that kind of core relationship functioning. Um, with us, we've never fallen out. I don't think we've had an argument since we were teenagers. So, uh, you know, there's, there isn't any reason for us uh, not to kind of, you know, keep doing it. I mean, the other thing is we still make each other laugh. Um, and that's so important. I mean, <laughs> yeah, because this business, it will fuck with you. and, and you oh, know, it'll, it'll eat you up all. Your highs and your lows, you know. And, and you know, you, I think you've got to you better laugh at the lows. And when the highs come, just remember that they're going to be closed tomorrow, you know. So that's really important. I think we have a, sh- a shared sense of, um, you know, optimism tempered with a little bit of cynicism, shall we say. So that's kind of good. I mean, professionally, you know, in terms of what we... What I mean, bring he's a perfect to, singer. 
Yeah, oh, yeah, he's a great singer. Um, he's a great singer. And I think what we bring to each other professionally is a, uh, a an innate understanding, which is obviously based on the length of the relationship and everything else. And, um, you know, it, I think he... Um, he is he, obviously Danny's very good at some things that I'm not very good at, and and vice versa. So you know, Danny manages the band, for instance, and, and that's evolved out of years and years, and him being fascinated by that aspect of the business, right. uh, which is great because I find it ex- exceptionally dull, and I'd rather you know poke yeah. my own eyes out <laughs> get into that. You just want to pluck and play. Well, I did a bit of it with the union, and I, I could do it, but I didn't enjoy it. Right. Um, so. Um, and, you know, as a songwriter or producer, they're the things that he maybe doesn't have much interest in and they're the things that, that I am interested in. So, um, you know, that, that sort of element of trust. And also I know his voice inside out. I know his voice probably as well as he does. So if I'm writing, I can – I don't even have to think about is he going to be okay because I just know. Um and uh you know and all similarly when i let me that's interesting do you write something and just go danny's not going to be able this is not his voice and you just throw it out like do you just say yeah i can't use that word because he i know he's not going to be able to like do, do yeah you there's, have a degree, there's, a, there's a degree of that i mean he can sing anything you can sing True. absolutely everything yeah you can sing like frank sinatra you can, you can sing everything but this as a human being as who, as who he is i mean it's very funny when we do our christmas shows we, uh, they're great fun because we do 40% covers, right? Right. Now, in the covers department, it's very funny because all uh, you know, all the band makes suggestions every year, and I keep the kind of main notebook with all the ideas. <laughs> yep. Some Christmas. Tom Petty, we, Bob Seger. We, we, we yeah, yeah, yeah. You name it, right? But there are some songs that I just can't see Danny singing, even though he could sing them physically. It might be a David Bowie song, for instance, right. or it might even be a Queen song that might be a little camp. <laughs> And I just can't imagine those words coming out of his mouth. And I know he would, wouldn't feel comfortable either. So he doesn't know. want to ride his bicycle. You know? <laughs> you don't. Yeah, want- <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It just wouldn't kind of work. No um, welcome to the jungle for Danny. That's fun. I, I can't see that either because it's so axle. You know. Um, um, okay, well, let me ask you this: since since and and we're running out of time, we got like three more minutes here. Um, when you you known him since you were eleven, you get into that band Terraplane. It, it it ends up not being the future. Was there was there a point within the relationship there where where because Terraplane, if you talk to Danny, seemed to have been a very sort of dark time with management. And did did you sort of have a, a moment there where you just went, you know what, I love you as a brother, but th- this is not working. We or did you say, shit, we gotta you know knuckle down no, and let's move it, forward. Uh, I don't think either of us questioned whether or not um, each other. You know, we, we were right to work with each other. I don't okay. think that was ever questioned. Um, I think that we did. We were. We did question ourselves collectively on what you know, what kind of records we should be making at that point. At the end of Terraplane, it's like you know, we we not be doing this right. What is it? So we did look at ourselves very hard, um, and you know, we went. Went right, sort of. It took a trip to America actually to, for us to kind of get the perspective we needed and go, hang on a minute, I know, you know, hang on a minute, this is kind of kind of coinciding with how I'm feeling about the songs I'm writing right. now. And, you know, and out of that, out of that feeling and that momentum came Backstreet Symphony. So, um, no, I don't think so. I think we've, you know, we've all, I mean, we can, you know, we can both musically exist in other environments with, uh, away from each other, I'm sure that's not an issue. But I think we enjoy, um, you know, being in a rock band together and i think that's the thing um right. 
you know, I, I certainly wouldn't want to work with any other singer in the same capacity. I just wouldn't because, you know, he, he because of the years and the understanding and, and like I said, the, the closeness musically and, and socially, you know, these are very important things and, and to, it's difficult to kind of find something else that would do it as well, you know. Yeah, and uh, I'll remind folks, uh, and I have one more question, but I'll remind folks, the new album, uh, Dopamine, out April 29th. It is a, a double album. It is fantastic. Um, so I'll just ask you this, to, just to end. So so you do Black and White, Moving Target, and which just, you know, they fall off the face of the earth, and then Backstreet Symphony. Uh, and I know you were just explaining it a bit, but what, what changed where you went from eh, eh, to an absolutely iconic album was it was it Andy Taylor that just sort of upped your game did you sit down and say okay we got to write better like how do you go from sort of eh to one of the greatest albums of all times i think it, it, it's really to do with i think there's several key elements first one obviously is the songs and and me kind of all the fog disappearing going ah this is what i should be doing that was the first point um, and the second, uh, Andy Taylor was very important because I think we, you know, after, after I think I'd probably written a couple of tunes and then I met Andy and we got on very well and then we sat down and wrote She's So Fine one afternoon and and, um, and he got he got us straight away. He understood Danny and I straight away, whereas with Terraplane, the people we worked with didn't really get what we were. But he saw it straight away. He said, you guys, these exact words were, you guys are a fucking great British rock and roll band and that's what you should be doing. And right. it's very simple. And he said really kind of fundamental things to us, like fucking turn it up or let's have one more beer. I know you don't want to, but hey, you know, and it was that pushing us over the edge where we were maybe slightly kind of tentative. About right. But he was good. And he was the kind of catalyst. And then, of course, we mustn't uh, also... Uh, it's impossible to, un, you know, to overrate Mike Fraser's contribution because he great Canadian. He actually was able to make it sound like it sounded in my head, and that was very important, you know. Uh, and 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 just to follow up on Andy Taylor, does he come to you and say, "Listen, I've been in Duran Duran. We 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 toured the world. We owned the '80s. This is what you got to do." I mean, did, did he did he bring that in and just sort of say, "Listen, I know what a hit song is. Trust me." I did read. Well, there was, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I'll give you, I'll give you a for instance. Um, during the writing process of Backstreet Symphony, one of the last songs that got written was "Love Walked In," and uh, I wasn't sure about it. And I, I said to him, you know, I've, I've written this ballad. I don't know, it might be a bit cheesy. And I played it to him, and he looked at me and he said, "If you don't put on the, that on the album, you're insane." So I said, "Okay," <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. And you know. Yeah. 30 years later, it's the song that earns me the most money. So I, you know, I <laughs> Which is it. funny because you stopped playing it live for a few years. You went, ah, oh, we're done with this song. And then fans went, yeah, no, you're not. Bring it back. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah we've, never, it's, we've never gone that long between without playing it. And we did, funny enough, on the, band, on the first few tours, very early, we didn't play it so much. Um, but it became, after it was a single uh, in the UK, which I think was in uh, 90, it might have even been later than that, it might have even been 91, it was released as a single. After that, we, if we didn't play it, we would have got lynched. So, you know, hey. Well, there you go. Uh, and that'll, that'll be uh, the next uh, Big Pink uh, Supermoon. That, that, that one will be an, an absolute, uh, you know, have to play. Anyway, so. as we say in Montreal, merci bien. Thank you so much. And uh, always a pleasure. And uh just uh, keep making the great music. I, I I enjoy it daily. I listen to th I, li I literally listen to Thunder daily. So 
Good man. I can only apologise. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. Have a good day. Thanks. Take Cheers. care. Bye-bye now. All the best. Now back to the Mitch Lafon and Jeremy White Show. Are you guys Jeremy? Yes, we yeah. It is the one and only Mr. Yeah, right? Martin. That's right. <laughs> the one. What kind of shoes are those? Chucks or Converse? Only Chucks, bruh. <laughs> there you go. Um, so there we go. I don't have a cool blue screen backdrop or any kind of ambience, ambience like you guys do. So I just had. Well, his is a real studio. Mine is just. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, you know, got, got a little, got a black and red motif going here. Oh, it looks good. It almost looks yeah. like you're in a like a green room or something. It's it's very rock and roll, you know. Isn't it? Got a bowl of brown M and M's across from you. Some uh, room temperature water. <laughs> right, right. Uh, hundred bunnies. I don't know. Is that what they did in Van Halen? I don't know. Something like that. Hundred bunnies. You know, I remember like guys backstage. They they'd have to have like tons of uh, fruit of loom. Underwear. This is probably back. You know, this is in the eighties. This is a tidy whitey days. <laughs> that was a thing. There, there was underwear. Yeah, that was a thing. Oh man, everybody had the weirdest writer. You've read all the horror stories. Well, other stories about like the big famous bands, but like the the up and comers. You know, like even like Mr. Big back in the day. We had like a. You know, I'll tell you all about it if you wanted to hear it. But yeah, like, I want to hear this. That's really interesting. You know, bushels of carrots. Bushels of carrots, because Paul Gilbert used to, uh, he'd make uh, carrot juice for everybody, you know, to try to keep us all uh, healthy. And, wow. Uh, and so we'd, we'd come into the, come backstage, we'd, you know, come off the bus, take a shower, go into this big dressing room, or little dressing room, most of the time little, walk in the place and there's like hundreds of carrots in there, <laughs> and, and a shitty ass de- deli tray, you know, yeah. It's always the deli tray. <laughs> I got to tell you, I was a, a showrunner in the early 2000s, and one band on their rider had white socks. And so I got the white socks, and I asked one of the band, I go, why do you have white socks? He goes, because we can't do laundry on this, and it's so much easier just to get new socks every city. And so I was like, yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> uh, I, I have a good one. Uh, we used to do the kind of white socks thing too back in the day this is the 80s uh this is before mr big this is the 80s when we get like white socks at the gigs because we weren't hip to wear black socks yet wait till the 90s came uh <laughs> but we we do it our our own laundry and so we always mix the colors with the white socks and everything so everybody had pink or blue socks anyway anyway nice. good time story good let, let's start this now <laughs> I consider That's this already started. And anyway, yeah, yeah. we'll start this well, by I, just I, asking Van Halen questions for the next oh, half hour. Really? <laughs> oh, is this yours? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if only Steve Brown was here, we could just talk Van Halen oh, the fuck. entire hour. Can we, we not be in a room with Steve Brown? Here, here, here's Steve Brown. Let's pretend Steve Brown's here, and, and this is how he'd go. Hey, bro. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Hey, bro! You know Eddie used this on the 5150 album. He is gonna hate when we air this. I'm telling you. Who gives it up, Mitch? <laughs> Look at me. No <laughs> shit given. Oh my god! Hey, hey! But I, I do want to ask you a, a serious question before we get into all the uh, comedy fireworks here. But in the 70s, there was a UK band called Mr. Big. Uh, yeah. They were managed by the guy who, who I think managed Swede or something like that. 
and of course you became Mr. Big in the in the 80s, 90s. Was there any kind of territorial lawsuits or you're not allowed to tour? Or you got to be Mr. Big X when you go to the UK or was there any weirdness? Uh, no, uh, right. but, but, there, but there was a little story. Right. So Pat Torpy is the one that came up with the name Mr. Big, you know, obviously because it looks good on a T-shirt. Right. But he uh, looks good on underwear, too. Looks good. It looks better on check. We used to sell condoms at gigs that said, when you're this big, they call you Mr. Biggest seller. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Oh, Bigger than the, than the t-shirts and the hats and the belt buckles, you know, but uh, (laughs) Pat brought it up to Herbie Herbert, our manager. And he contacted the guys, the singer, I think in Mr. Big and his name uh, I, I think he's, of course, he might be still around because I still see little smatterings of things. His his name is Dickon, and uh, British band. They had a hit called Romeo, I think. Yeah, Romeo uh, was a big hit. Nineteen seventy seventy seven. You would know, bro. You would know. Hey, bro. Yeah, I he knows because it's right in out. front of him, Eric. You don't don't let him fool you. <laughs> Oh, no. I actually was going through some music weeks the other day, and I and, and I had these ads for Mr. Big's Romeo, and I was like, Mr. Big Romeo in '77. Yeah, I was like, what? Yeah, the cool kind of pop rock stuff, and yeah. some of the other stuff on the record is very reminiscent of. I don't know if your listeners ever listen to a band called Linden's Linden's Farm, or yeah. it's got. It's yeah, I mean, Def Leppard covered them. Yeah, but it's got some pop stuff, but it also has this ethereal kind of thing vibe to it. Anyway, um, the, we paid the guy 500 bucks to use the name. That's the story that Herbie told me. That's and we, we were going to do like, you know, uh, there was some talk, you know, a couple of band meetings of like, you know, where they have a UK subs or UK, you know, like it changed. Put, yeah. Yeah. Mr. Big, uh, U.S., I don't know what it was, but, uh, yeah, we paid the guy off and we, we did it. Would you say the guy's yeah. name was Dickin? Yeah. Yeah. Funny <laughs> thing, Mitch, funny thing about that guy, Dickin. Okay, so I don't, I don't know if it's the same guy or not, but there's a, there's a Jeffrey Robert Dickin, and he actually wrote a couple of songs with Mutt Lang back in the day. No. And the, they're online on YouTube, but the state, like the band name was Dickin, so maybe it's the same guy. No, the, this guy's name was Jeff Payne, and he was known as Dickin. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, there are a few uh, friends and that that play with me, like Steve Brown and PJ Farley and Joey Casada, mm-hmm. and they will probably call me Dickin now. You know, mm-hmm. for the just for shits and giggles. Yeah. By the way, thank you for taking Joey back out because we we've been texting and and he was just feeling so left out of the whole. Podcast. You know what? I feel left out too. You know, because <laughs> I have Joey's books, right? And, <laughs> but I don't have Joey's new book. I mean, I I might have it. It might be holding up some bookcase in the house. That's a really good plug for Joey's book. We're going to be moving some product. That's right. Um, <laughs> everybody, you know. There was a, you know, our friend, uh, Chris Jericho. Jeremy, you know Chris Jericho, of don't course. you? Of course, yeah. I don't know him personally, but I'm a huge fan. Yeah, great guy. We, you know, he, he, he's a, he's a, you know, rock and roll singer, but, and wrestler yeah. and everything like that, podcaster and all that. But he, you know, we're really good friends. We like bust balls and, you know, what thread doesn't, yeah. what dude thread doesn't. 
Right. Like our group chat. Go ahead. And so he did something like he did a video and he said something like, who the fuck is Joe, Joey Casada? And it got a lot of press or not press, but, you know, hits. Everybody like is like, who is Joey Casada? So he's been getting a lot of press lately. And you hold up his book. And even though he's going to get so pissed at me because, you know, this is the this is only the second book. He's got a third book. And I can't keep up with these uh, kids today. <laughs> what does he write about, though? What does he, he? Well, the first book, Jeremy. Yeah, tell me about Joey's book, Eric. <laughs> so this first book is all about his life in show business, and uh, and kind of a kind of. Yeah, Mitch, you 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 can attest to this. Big Kiss fan, Joey Casada. So a mm-hmm. lot of Kiss stories in here, uh, which you love. Zo two opened a Kiss seventy shows. They probably got a bunch of stories, and this book is his like big dream to be a wrestler, and it's got you know, full on comedy. And have I read it? Nah, <laughs> not really. Not really. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, struck down, but it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'll go pick up Joey Casada's new book, everybody. It's available yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. It's available now. We just two, I think. We, we are um, 31 years past the, the release of to be with you. It's a story of a girl named Patricia in a sense if I understood it correctly, who is yeah. Patricia and what's the story? Uh, she's married now, so I can use her maiden name, I guess. Patricia Reynolds. Right. Uh, we went to school together. Okay. In Sacramento. Uh, she was this beautiful, gosh, she, she, gorgeous woman, kind of, kind of Cleopatra looking. Wow. You know, from the Exotic. movie, Elizabeth Taylor and Cleopatra. Um, goth, goth kind of look for the seventies, but um, we used to sit out in her backyard. She had this overgrown backyard and this old Mercedes Benz in this field of the backyard, no wheels on it. And we just sit there and she would write poetry. She had all these crystals in the car. It was really hippie kind of stuff. And she just paid attention to me and she was beautiful. And I was like, what's not to love, you know? We, I mean, we're really good friends, and that's how she put it to me. You know, we're really good friends. Don't ruin it, and by falling in love with me, and uh, whoops, too late. Um, Damn, I, I just fell head over the heels, and you know, kind of ruined the relationship a little bit. But um, yeah, I wrote to be with you about this girl. I, um, and we remained friends for a while, and I just kind of lost touch. She married a musician. Scottish uh, fella, but uh, yeah, lost touch with her. I loved it. She, I've talked about her a few times over the 30 years. Right. And I, I kind of haven't heard from her. You know, I've, I, I think I ran into her one time at a store in San Francisco where she was in some retail thing, but I, I would love to see her again. Wow. Yeah, that record, Lean Into It, the 30th anniversary, you can pick it up. I mean, it's so good. The remastered version, like, it, it sounds awesome. And the cool thing about that song, To Be With You, I mean, it's so bizarre because it's an acoustic ballad in a way. But then you listen to everything else, and I mean, you, you listen to Just Take My Heart, and it's like the most 80s-sounding guitar and the drums. And Mitch, Mitch loves the, <laughs> I was going to say, I'm looking at Mitch, and Mitch is looking, he's like, oh, God, he's going to get into Cannonball Snare. I'm just curious, I mean, how does it What's the biggest difference between writing a song like To Be With You and, you know, recording something like Just Take My Heart? I mean, how do you make the decision to go acoustic versus 
uh, fully well, produced. I, well, to be with you, you know, I wrote that when I was, I had the nucleus of that song when I was 16 years old and I kind of carried it in my bag of tricks for years. And then 1988, I re, I actually got some help for it uh, with this fellow named David Graham and him and I finished it. And I played it for uh, Paul Gilbert when I, when we were putting Mr. Big together and he mm-hmm. goes, just to show him that, Hey, I could write songs too. You know, I mean, I, this was a song I'd written a long, long time ago and I'd already had a couple albums too, but I was just showing him that I think he was saying that he was a big Beatle fan. And I go, Ooh. and I looked in my bag of tricks and I, to be with you has kind of a Beatlesque sound to it, you know? And, uh, and, and he loved it. But it wasn't one of those things where he went, oh, this would be perfect for the album. You know, we held on to it for a, another year or two, you know. Wow. And uh, so 1991, when we started to lean into it album, I brought that song up. Paul said, yeah, that's a good little song you got, you know, that kind of thing. It was like the little engine that could. And I played it for Kevin Elson, our producer, mm-hmm. who produced all the great Journey records. Uh and I also played it for Herbie Herbert, our manager. And they went, man, that song's a, that's a strong uh, contender. Could mm-hmm. possibly be a radio kind of song. Oh, okay, that's cool. And then it just got kind of put further away from the pile of songs that we had written. And there was a chance it wasn't going to make it. I mean, we're I, actually, I had one song. It was called Stop, Stop Messing Around that actually ended up on that 30th anniversary. But... I I I love to be with you, but I was pushing for this other song. I wrote oh. them both, you know, but I was pushing for this other song. Yeah. And I, and and the only kibosh with Pat Torpy goes, oh man, that sounds like Aerosmith. And and I was like, what's your point? I, it's, that works for me. And he goes, he goes, no, I, I don't like my drums and sound too much like Aerosmith. Let's take that other song. So we put to be with you on it. I mean, it was a fluke, and. It ended up, we didn't know where to put it on the, uh, you know. Track listing or whatever, the sequence. Yeah. Yeah, the sequence, right. Sequence, I can never remember that word. It's French, right? Uh, It is, sequence. And, uh, Le Fon. Anyway, so, To Be With You ended up on the end of the record. And we had released like four, three to four, maybe even five singles that were out there on album, uh, you know, rock radio. And, uh, I'm all over the place on this song, but um, that was a song that just got brought in. I mean, I can't, I, I was so happy that the guys actually took the chance to do, yeah, let's put an acoustic song on the record. But I think the guy that opened the the gates for that, because we had all this four on the floor type of rock and roll music. Yeah. Uh, Paul wrote a song called Green Tinted Sixties Mind that was so left field, almost prog pop a little bit right. and we went yeah that's a great song and chock full of harmonies and oh uh, yeah let's do that so i think that's how to be with you uh inched its way in uh the circle sorry for the roundabout wow. long no, it's, it's really interesting because i mean you know so many times you talk to artists and they talk about their biggest hit or you know a song that became massive but meanwhile it was just sitting on the studio floor for so long yeah, yeah. and uh but just take my heart I had so I, I so I have a songwriting partner that I hooked up with uh, around that Lean Into It album. We've been 
friends and written tons of Mr. Big songs and other songs for other people for years. His name is Andre Pessis. Mm. And uh, Andre, more French. Andre Pessis, yeah. Pe Andre Pessis. Andre Pessis. Andre Pessis, yeah. Anyway, he, um, he, great guy. And he, him and I, uh, we met through another mutual friend of ours, this guy, Alex Call, who had written um, 8675309. Yeah, yeah, he wrote for uh, Tommy Two Tone. And Alex and I were together, and Alex thought of this idea like, hey, uh, I got this great title, Just Take My Heart. I go, what do you think of that? And I go, ah. And immediately I went like, just take my heart when you go, because I don't need it anymore. And I was going through like a major breakup at the time with uh, one of my wives. I can't remember. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I just lyrically just poured it out right. first. Before he just had the title, uh, I, I wrote all the lyrics and then somehow it didn't work out with Alex. I, I couldn't get a hold of him or something. And I got together with Andre and him and I perfected the lyrics. I wrote uh, the music on piano. Mm -hmm. Actually, I wrote it on piano, really wow. poppy. I wrote a lot of songs. Well, lot, a lot of songs is four or five in Mr. Big. So <laughs> right. um, I wrote two songs rock and roll over and big love um on the first mr big album on piano and i gave it to paul and he did his magic to it yeah same thing with just take my heart to be with you actually the demo that i did i play uh i play piano <laughs> there's wow. it's interesting so, to yeah, hear that you wrote know, that yeah, I was going to say, it's interesting you hear you wrote that on piano because then you go listen to the arrangement and Paul's guitars and the oh, no, no, no. guitar tone. And like, it, it's amazing how you could just take it and turn it to something else. He he was really good at that kind of stuff. You know, we, we used to do um, uh, the Who song, Baba O'Reilly, yep. you know, with all that, all that keyboard. Uh, keyboard stuff and all the loops like do, 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 all that stuff. And he... He he took the whole all the keyboards of that song and put it on guitar or kind of made it for the guitar. Yeah. Same thing where he was so good at that stuff. I remember this one time we were at Leeds in London and uh, Leeds uh, okay. in England, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Leeds, north of Manchester, Mitch. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we're playing this, uh, playing Leeds and Pat Torpy breaks a, a, a drum pedal. And we're like standing up, standing around with a thumb up my ass. I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm, I've already told a few stories to the crowd. And Paul goes, and I, I'm a huge Frank Sinatra fan. And Paul knows this as well. And he, I think he is as well. And he learned the whole Nelson Riddle arrangement of Fly Me to the Moon, uh, Frank Sinatra, Live at the Sands. Dun, I mean, you guys have no idea. I was like, da, 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 you know. <laughs> this, this huge arrangement which strings and keyboards and everything on guitar. And wow. we play Fly Me to the Moon. And I wish, you know, this way way before cell phone cameras, but brilliant. Yeah, he was Man, so good. I would have loved it. I, wonder, I, I bet you he still remembers how to play it. Yeah, it's time to I, rip it out again. We, we did it. Actually, there might be something on YouTube that he might have played a little piece of it. And then, and then Pat got his pedal together immediately. But at that <laughs> Leeds gig, we, we, we played the whole Fly Me to the Moon, you know? 
Wow. That's really cool. Since we're talking about songwriting partners, you've worked with someone that, of course, is Canadian, Jim Valance, on that song, Never Say Never. Yeah. Um, talk to me about that. Did he sort of give you the song and you said, okay, I'm going to put my, my lyrics on it and then that's our collaboration? Or do you sit in a room and how did you work with Jim? Because he's brilliant. Yeah, I love went, Jim. Yeah. I love Jim. Uh, and we only wrote that one song together. I never got a chance to write with him again. Um, unfortunately, I went to Canada. Where does he, he live? Vancouver? Mm-hmm. Yeah, on the West Coast. Yeah. And, um, and I went to his house, uh, got there at night, spent the night. I, I, probably, I think we worked at night. And the next day, worked again. And that night, recorded it. Right. it was pretty fast, you know. Um, How had, impressed were you by all the Brian Adams platinum records on his wall? Oh, dude, I was I was shaking <laughs> in my boots. Are you kidding me? But um, so I had this riff. Uh, uh, and he starts. He, he's a lyricist, but. Right. Uh, we we did a lot of trading back and forth, you know, melodies and lyrics and stuff like that. But he's also but a drummer. Was, he was a drummer in Prism for years. I I kind of knew that. Yeah. So he he knows what he's doing. He's not just some. He's just not a pen guy. He's a sticks guy. He so. But when I wrote this thing, so and and it's and it's this style, the same kind of beat, you know. He he goes, wow, that sounds like a song I just wrote for. Aerosmith, uh, which very loving an elevator, I, right. and obviously, obviously, I hadn't heard it yet. It didn't. Yeah. I mean, I'm no, there's no plagiaristic situation. It just is. It reminds me of when, you know, like, like an army movie or a western movie will come out, and an, and thousands of western movies will come out. You know, nobody's. Yeah. Anyway, he goes. Wow, that sounds like loving an elevator elevator and he was really trying hard not to make it sound like loving an elevator you know wow. anyway um yeah we we wrote this thing i mean simple kind of words i want to know if it's love or money i can't remember i mean it was just cock rock kind of stuff nice but cool song and great oh man that's the one song well actually there's two two songs i can't i can barely even do anymore with mr big um lucky this time and a song and never say never i mean it is you, it's high and tight you know wow. just vocally I, it's just too high well yeah no, i'm only talking vocally okay i'm a singer mitch i don't know if no you know, i know but, i know but i mean i know <laughs> you, you saw this prolific guitar playing coming around here i did and and i thought wow why why do you need steve brown in your band for his high vocal because he's a, he's kind of a high singer actually. Um, but speaking of that, how, but, how do you? But that is a, but that is a yeah. question. Sorry, Jeremy. That is yeah. a question. Why do you need Steve Brown in your band? That goes along with like, who the fuck is Joey Casada, and why do you know? Well, that is a question for the ages. Anyway, getting back to uh, where the yeah. hell we are. Um, yeah, never say never is a, is such a uh, acrobatic vocal ease 
it's so hard to do, but yeah. And because, you know, my balls dropped when I was 45. So, you know, yeah, just. <laughs> well, how have you been able to maintain your voice over the years? I mean, you, you see athletes, they eventually have to retire, but there's some guys even like you. I mean, your voice is held up. Yep. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, the Lord's Prayer helps. Uh, every time I go on the right before the show, I go, if I can do this, if I can go, woo, and do like a falsetto. And go, and then I all get, I go, Lord have mercy. And I go out there and somehow I can do it. But, and, and it psychs me out if I go, whoa, whoa, and smoke comes out like the dragon, you know, the cartoon dragon. I'm like, oh, I'm fucked. You know, Steve, you're know. singing tonight. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Eric, I heard you have a really good recipe for a Chinese chicken salad. Is there any truth to that? <laughs> Wait, did you hear that story with like, Hey Mitch, is that a story that I told you? Like we're you did. At, we're some gig. Yes, was, we were at uh, the Metropolis in Montreal, and you were there with um, what's that band that brings on all, all the vocalists and Jeff Tate and all that? Um, oh, uh, Avantasia. Avantasia. Yeah, there you go. Uh, you, it was at the Avantasia gig, and okay. you start talking to me in David Coverdale's voice, and I was like, I like uh, this. I'm a fan. <laughs> I can't. Do, first of all. I used to think I could talk like David Coverdale, but Jeremy uh, can go ahead, Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy. Oh well, you know, uh, I was uh, when I was in uh, White Snake. Uh, Eric Martin told me he's got a great recipe, and uh, I never believed him. But then I had his Chinese chicken salad, Mitch, and it was it was a phenomenal. It's more I like yours. It's not bad. It's not bad. Actually, the, uh, Steve Brown. Let's bring his name up again. Oh, I didn't say Ainsley Dunbar. When Ainsley Dunbar came into the studio. Yeah, Steve Brown can do it pretty good. But, like, you got to throw a little Jack Sparrow in the mix. you got to go, like, <laughs> oh, darling. If you go, oh, enchanté. You know, he's a little bit more. He's like the Cavassier guy and some British aristocrat. And then a little bit of... You know, a little bit of Zap Brannigan in there. He doesn't have any rock around might, but he has a little, you know. Yeah. Um, I'll take a corpse reviver number two, darling. Uh, <laughs> I can't do that. I, 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 we were Still doing one the, of the best rock vocalists around, but it'd be like, uh, oh, stop pandering, Mitch. We're having fun. <laughs> Yeah, still, we're having, still one uh, of the best rock vocalists around. I'll keep saying it. He's the best. Uh, he'd be uh, like, oh, <laughs> I was dining at the, the Tavern on the Green with Topo Gigio, Channing Tatum, and Matt, Wait, Matt, uh, Waylon and Madam Flowers. And, you know, just just bringing up a bunch of people's names. Anyway, you had to be there. Uh, yeah, yeah I, did this, I did this cookbook a long time ago. I didn't do it. My wife did it, Denise. Um, David Coverdale's wife contacted uh, a bunch of rockers and asked their wives their recipes. And uh, Denise didn't want to give up her, her, her mom's Sicilian spaghetti sauce. And so we were feeding the kids, you know, early afternoon, or, 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 you know, feeding the kids. And we got some Chinese chicken salad from a local store called Comforts. Great Chinese chicken salad. Throw a little Comforts Bay Area uh, plug. Anyway, uh, we're feeding the guys and Denise is kind of eating the thing. She goes, what's in this? And she's writing it down. Sorry, Mrs. Coverdale. You know, it's just a, what we could. Wow. It was kind of a spur of the moment thing. 
We love the Chinese chicken salad, but she didn't make it. I know. Oh, God, plagiarism. Wow, so it was yeah. a phony recipe on top of it. Anyway, but no, she probably learned how to make it, Jeremy. Yeah. Don't throw me under the bus. Okay, uh, all right, just checking. So um, uh, we we gave that the recipe, and it's in the book, Rock, you know, Rock Wives Cookbook or something, something to that effect. Yeah. But um, and I had talked to David Coverdale a couple times through festivals. And, so he and knew who you were. We have done. Yeah, I mean, I don't know him really well. I just, I don't, well, of course, I don't know him really well. I think I know him really well. Where <laughs> I, I come and see him, I'm at Sweden Rock with Mr. Big and White Snake is on the bill. And, uh, and I go, hey, David, how you doing? And he's like, hold, hold on, hold on. You know, like trying to do a magician kind of Chinese chicken salad. And that's what he says. <laughs> and, and I go, Eric Martin. And he goes, oh, of course, I know that dear boy, you know, he's kind of a, he's kind of the wizard, you know. And then I, I, get, I get into. The greatest um, thing ever. Oh, and, and look, I'm such a huge David Coverdale fan anyway. Yeah. But, so no matter what he sounds like or how his mannerisms are, you know, like, oh, darling, I love you so much. You know, I believe it. I'm a believer. Yeah, yeah. It's a Chinese chicken salad, though. That's <laughs> Yeah, I've told that story a bunch of times, kind of embellishing it in, in little places. And the, <laughs> oh, I was telling, um, um, I, 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 okay, this is name dropping, but I, I, I was at this Polestar Awards show yeah. uh, in Los Angeles. And I'm in this green room and all these famous rockers are in there and managers and all this stuff. And I, me and my wife, Denise, and um, Paul Rogers and his gal were there. And I, and he's in the middle of this. Oh, no, no, no. We, we came together from the hotel. Mm. And I kind of talked to him a little bit. And so he's looking around for somebody maybe to talk to or something. I don't know. And I showed up again. I'm like, hey, hey, good to see you. You know, we're just talking. And all the rock stars are looking at us going, what are they talking about? And they and and all every singer I know, I'm not the only one that says Paul Rogers is my idol or one of my idols. He mm -hmm. is by far he he's this high up on the on the totem pole, and there's nobody underneath. Anyway, we're just chatting away, and uh, he says, and I've told this story before. I hope I'm not boring anybody here. I've never heard it, especially your listeners. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate it. Uh, so. <laughs> So I'm yapping to him and I'm, I'm such a fish out of water too. You know, I, I love the guy, but I'm not cool when I'm talking to him. I'm like, uh, uh, remember when you were at Texas jam and, and you had a tooth missing and, and you were, and you were singing all right now. And he's like, um, yeah, yeah. We're still like an idiot. Your point. <laughs> yeah. Your point is exactly like, see how it, I paid it. You paid it forward, Jeremy. Anyway. So, uh, uh, and even my wife, goes she looks at him and she looks at the, his girlfriend she looks at me and she goes i've never seen him like this before he's he's not usually like this and i'm like huh? and then you and then you had a, and the way you stood on stage it was just oh god i was such an idiot you were fangirling like what the totally fanboy man i loved it but then you know kind of dumbed it down or not dumbed it down but i i i started getting comfortable and he was so gracious and and such a cool guy, a lot of, yeah. you know, a couple little stories. And I think I told, I wish I would have written this down or recorded it. 
I asked him what I think this would be a good book for singers. I asked him what he uh, takes to keep his voice uh, together. You know, what what yeah. kind of concoction? Because I've run into so many people and they, they, you know, the bumpkins go, well, honey and lemon is great. You know, like, wow, like the same, my first picnic. I roll. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, honey and lemon and tea can really work. Really? Oh, thank you. No uh, shit. <laughs> yeah. And, but I've like cayenne pepper, I've heard people using and, mm, and all kinds of weird options. But Paul Rogers said something like, like it sounded like, because, you know, the words coming out of his mouth, I was just like, oh, you know, <laughs> and he was like, oyster shell, pearl, kind of weird Canadian something. And I was like, uh huh, you know, I didn't, I didn't pay attention. <laughs> anyway, um, he, he goes, hey, I'll be right back. I, I have to go to the bathroom. Okay, cool. So my wife and his gal were. I thought talking. you were going to say, do you want me to hold it for you? Or like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll stand by the door and wait for you. Yeah, yeah I'll wait. I'll wait. If I'll you need to pee, I'll, I'll pee with you. I'll make sure that none of the fans come up to you like they do every uh, musician at the club, you know, when they. they knock out midstream. Up. A mystery. Go, a big fan. Knock on that door. Hey, are you going to play? Anyway. <laughs> Or the best when the clubs don't, you know, have proper bathrooms and they don't have any door doors, yeah, and okay. and you just gotta you gotta you gotta let go. You gotta you gotta lay it down, you know, and you're just sitting there and you're like, huh? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Gonna play to be with you. All right, talk to you later. Oh yeah. no, that's happened to you? <laughs> Fucking all the time, man. Oh man. Oh, especially. Oh, I used to have. Hey, this. listen, I peed next to Scott Whelan once, but he wanted to talk to me. He's like, "Hey, it's going to be a good show." And I was like, "Yeah, sure it is." That happened in Toronto. It did. It wow, did. that is that. You know, you know that that kind of stuff that you would talk with your friends with, you know, yeah, something yeah. Like that not really share on a podcast. But now everybody's <laughs> going to be busting your balls, Mitch. You no. think you're you know how your thread of friends? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, but Eric, everybody's going to say, oh, yeah, sure, Mitch. I'm sure Scott Weiland wanted to talk to you. No, he didn't want to talk to me. He was just talking to the guy next to him in the bathroom. Happened to be me. That's all. And did you go like, did you go, Velvet Revolver? No, It was actually at a Velvet Revolver (laughs) press conference in Toronto that Stéphane Drolet had organized. Awesome. Awesome. Great great story. Uh, I I have peed next to so many rock stars. (laughs) I totally get it. You know, anyway, so... That's a thrill. Uh, who had the biggest cock at the urinal, Eric? What'd you say? Who, who had the biggest cock at the urinal out of all the okay, guys? You first of all, that's for another podcast, Jeremy. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't, yeah. Yeah. I look people directly in the eyes at the, in, in the, uh, in the toy toy. Which eye, so, which one? Uh, so anyway, moving forward, it was just a, I'm just trying to make Mitch happy, you know? So, that's right. Oh, uh, he's happy. So um, Paul goes to the bathroom. And uh, the girls are talking and I'm just standing in the middle, still the same crowd, right? And it's a green room. You know how they say it's a backstage area, but it's an actual little green room. That's right. I was like, oh, this, is, this room's green. All of a sudden, <laughs> it was like, ah, oh, the hair of the angels come, you know. The crowd kind of parts, the lights hit, and there's David Coverdale in the, uh, in the doorway. 
<laughs> Dry ice. And, uh, I, you know, this is a stand-up. Smoke machine. It's beautiful. In backstage kind of thing. If I was hanging out with you and Mitch backstage, I could do the whole proper standing up. And the way he came in the room was like, you know, to me, that's the way it looked like. I mean, he was, he's kind of a Jack Sparrow to me. I don't know why, but yeah. he's got that. He's a fucking rock star, man. And One of the uh, greatest. The greatest. He walks in and he's like, hello, Eric. No, he didn't. I'm, I, I was thinking he was going to say, you know, Chinese chicken salad because he goes, um, Eric, is it? And I'm like, oh, thank God. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, CCS, you know, yeah. uh, CCS, isn't it? Anyway, so uh, he goes, <laughs> he goes, I saw you talking to Paul Rogers. Uh, will you introduce me to him? Oh, fucking. <laughs> what? Me? <laughs> you know? So he wow. goes, and I go, absolutely. So it was the weirdest thing that I kind of, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And then other people were talking to him. Kind of the crowd started getting a little, you know, the, the, the circle right. started to get a little smaller. People started coming in. Paul Rogers comes back. I turn, Coverdale's not there anymore. Poof, he like, I was like, what? Was it a mirage? Was it a mirage? <laughs> and uh, and then uh, I'm talking to Paul, and I go, hey, I just, I, and all of a sudden he appears again. Oh, he, not a he made the entrance again. <laughs> so Puff the a, magic singer. Puff the magic Coverdale, man. So he was like, he comes in, and it was the coolest. It was like the meetings of. Here's David Coverdale. Here's Paul Rogers. Wow. And I go, you know, uh, and I'm like, you know, like me and Paul Rogers, such good friends. I, you know, I go, <laughs> uh, David Coverdale, this is Paul Rogers. I thought you two should meet. I thought you two should meet. I can't believe I said that. But, and they're like, hey, good to meet you. And then Coverdale was like, I met you a long time ago. You know, people do that, you know, maybe a long time ago, but I don't think you remember. And we're like, oh, I kind of do remember. They started talking, right? Crowd getting smaller. <laughs> I was pushed out of the circle. Oh. Out of the Yeah. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I'm like, Paul, you know, completely out of the circle. And then, and then. Who's and then, this fellow? This is just an wow. annex to the story. But somebody comes backstage and says, Okay, you're gonna be a presenter and you're gonna present with uh, Steve Vai. I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. I've, I've never met Steve Vai before. We're walking down the hallway together. He goes, hey, good to meet you. And I'm like, hey, we have that one thing in common, right? And he goes, uh, what? You know, <laughs> completely, completely. He's like, uh, I don't know what. Okay, and then we go on this thing and he, he does this great comedy monologue. He's such an eloquent speaker. But, you know, I'm, I'm, it was the weirdest 15 minutes of my life. The whole David Coverdale, Paul Rogers, and then going out there presenting an award. A day in the life of a rock star. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. I, I want to have that experience one day. Do you remember um, when they were talking about wait, Coverdale? Wait, and, uh, wait, wait, wait. Did you say you want to have that experience one day, Mitch? You I, do. I mean, I've stood, I've stood in between Joey Casati and Steve Brown. And, uh, and Steve Weiland. And yeah, well, uh, well, yeah, Scott. I peed next to Scott Weiland in Toronto. That was very yeah. exciting. Very exciting. Oh uh, yeah, you would be. All right. <laughs> um, bump this ahead as we blue. bump ahead. 
Uh, Bump Ahead hits 30 years next year. Will there be any kind of product with it? Is there a deluxe reissue? Are you doing the piano version of To Be With You? <laughs> actually, I mean, I, no, no. Look, um, I did a piano version of Just Take My Heart, actually, that's on the 30th anniversary. Right. Um, now, we just came out with the 30th anniversary. I mean, who's who? And. And it's not us that came out with it. You know, record companies kind of did it. The record company uh, Evolution, mm-hmm. uh, distributing company, you know, that thank God for them to even put us back on the map again. But, you know, it's not something that Mr. Biggs, especially Paul Gilbert or Billy Sheehan, who are super busy all the time going, hey, let's generate some more attention. Yeah. And put out a bump ahead, you know, I, first of all, so it was lean into it. 1992 kind of to be with you days and stuff like that. And I, I want to say, I don't know when bump ahead came out. We were on the road for a long time on that lean into it album. And we were, I was just seeing this yesterday. I was, I was in a, I was on a rush kick last night um, on YouTube, just checking out pretty much everything Rush, and I ran across this, you know, we toured with Rush uh, on the Presto Tour and Roll the Bones. And um, there was the last uh, week of the Rush Tour, we uh, we went on stage with Rush and and played In the Mood, uh, you know, from the first album, first Rush album. And uh, Billy uh, played with Getty they played played some bass and Paul learned the solo and Alex actually, you know, we had this little spinal tap jokey kind of thing that we used to do with the, with this drill, yeah, you know, yeah. where we put little guitar picks on the drill and play a song, daddy, brother, lover, little boy. And it was just kind of our gimmick. Right. And Alex did the gimmick with the drill. And then uh, me and Pat came out sort of in the second verse and sang, the verse. And I saw that on YouTube last night and I was like, Oh my God, what a great, forgot that memory. Oh, I got to go watch but, that. Oh, it's really cool. I think it's shoreline amphitheater. And there's another one, uh, Auburn Hills palace. There was no, it was like the whole week Alpine Valley. We're playing Alpine Valley, you know, 40, 50,000 people on the Hill and yeah. we're doing this thing. Uh, oh yeah. I found it. You'll, yeah, you can't June 27th, miss 1990. 1990. You can't miss me. I'm I'm wearing a stonewashed jean jacket. Anyway, um, <laughs> top quality. Uh, it was really really cool. But anyway, um, on that lean into it, we were like, we were up against the wall because when "To Be with You" did finally come out after a, a bunch of singles, it put us on the map all over the world, and we toured all over the world five, six times at a, on that album. Yeah. And so uh, Bump Ahead came out. I don't, I don't know when, a couple years later. Well, Bump Ahead, according to what I'm seeing here, says uh, summer of 93, depending oh, on what territory. Right away, then. right away. We were still on the road then. You know, a lot of times yeah. Yeah. bands yeah. have like some success, you know, where they're, uh, you know, we had to lean into it and then we toured and, and came home for a couple times to make some videos and and going back and forth and did the bump ahead album and went out on tour again. And yeah. Um, I don't know what to tell you about bump. I, first of all, it's got a free cover. 
It's Mr. Big free cover, Paul Rogers. Yeah, Mr. Big. That's right. Wow, what a what a evolution. I mean, you folks at home, if you don't know the band, you know, our band's called Mr. Big because of the song Mr. Big by Free with Paul Rogers. Kevin Bacon's probably in there somewhere. Uh, listen, we're going to start wrapping up here. Eric Martin's big acoustic to be going to be hitting the UK this summer, kicking off in Edinburgh, uh, oh, Bannermans hi. on August 6th. What can we expect? Give us a little taste of uh, this acoustic tour. Just a lot of Mr. Big songs. Uh, some, uh, poppy songs from my past. Try to say that five times. Um, I'm work with a guy named David Cottrell, who I met uh, a few years ago and we tour, it's acoustic. Uh, Demon David Cottrell. Demon Dave. Yeah, right. He's a band, uh, Demon, from England. Uh, heavy metal. And um, him and I, we have such a blast together. I mean, I, you know, look, well, I started out in the business driving around little cars and vans piled As in the van. And then you go on the tour buses and airplanes, jets or whatever. Well, I'm back in the cars again. Him and I are just driving around all over uh, the UK and Ireland, uh, flying to Ireland, actually, but um, driving all around the UK and just having a blast. I just I, I it's my favorite thing to do, actually. I love being on stage, playing in front of the big audiences and all that and having Billy Sheehan and Paul Gilbert, you know, on stage with me and the and the and the late, great Pat Torpy is always there in spirit. But I love playing acoustic. Singing-wise, it's great. I can, all kinds of dynamics. Don't have any problems singing anything. Yeah. And I just, the crowd loves it lately. I last, I've done it for the last six, seven years, maybe more. And they just, they're coming out. And people so, are finally appreciating it. Yeah. And bring bring back That's Never Say terrible. Never in the acoustic setting. You can, you can tune it down for that version. <laughs> Never! That's high. Never. And that's half step down, man. Never. God. Hear me sing it for him. Never. No. Never. Never. Really super high, man. It's ball grabbing high. But anyway. But, but, but we a like lot, it. Um, a lot of ter- In terms of uh, new releases, you haven't put out anything in a while. Are you going to do an acoustic live album? Are you doing any kind of Mr. Big uh, new whatever? Or... <laughs> It's like, oh. give me the idol. I'll give you the, give me, I'll give you the whip. Give me the idol. Yeah. Give us something. Um, give us something. Please. Anything. Uh, I'd love to do something again with Billy and, and Paul. Those guys are, like I said. Van Halen cover record yeah. with Steve Brown. Why do you have to like bring the whole story? You're bringing it down now, Mitch. You know, I don't know if that's busting balls or actually like hoping and wishing and dreaming for that. No. You got the piano, you do right now. Right. You got Steve come in, stand on the piano with a big, big guitar. It's fucking beautiful. First, Steve Brown's a great guitar player. We bust balls. He's an amazing guitar player, a great singer. But I gotta, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bust his balls one more last time. Jeremy's <laughs> gotta go. You gotta go. Steve Brown, I go. And we've been doing this. Uh, we play together. You know, we're playing uh, uh, actually in uh, Las Vegas on the. Um, uh, 17th and two shows in LA whiskey in the Canyon club coming up. And uh, like all the time I go, 
I'm the one who wants to be with you. Steve, you know that song, right? And he goes, yeah, hey, bro, I know that song. And I go, well, then why don't you learn the solo correctly? And he goes, hey, nobody gives a shit about that solo. Nobody cares. <laughs> you, know, you do what you do and I do what I do. Hey, I do my own thing. I'm like, yeah, that's that song is actually pretty iconic. It's a standard now. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's been played all over the world, like at least once or twice a day for mm -hmm. 30 years. And he goes, hey, bro, no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. I so, love that. <laughs> so, I, you know what? Fuck this. I am like, I, I, I am exhausted to the point of pissed off. Uh, so many at so many gigs and it like he'll go he'll do his own thing and i'm like really really <laughs> and, the, and the crowd's like oh that's different oh that's cool <laughs> you know i i used to scout around back in the day when i was when i was younger mm. when i had a, my first album uh an eric martin band sucker for a pretty face and i used to scat and do my do my own melody you know we don't have the record but i do my own melodies and i might even throw it a different lyric in herbie herbert uh we'd be waiting for me backstage and i go pretty great gig huh and he go grab me by my, my my collar and go what are you stupid because your song just got on the radio and people are singing to the song on the radio and you're not giving the people what they want are you high Oh, yeah. And he goes, don't ever do that again. Well, Herbie Herbert's not around to tell Steve Brown that, uh, you know, to, yeah. I mean, doing anything you want to any other any of my songs. But don't fuck with a hit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm telling People you. People are expecting it. They want to hear it. To be with you needs more fretboard tapping and a bow like Jimmy Page or Vinnie Vincent. Yeah, yeah, right. so, this is the best <laughs> podcast answer that I've had. I'm so glad I got this off my chest. He won't listen to me in front of PJ and Joey, you know, so I like, all right, anybody who's listening, who knows Steve Brown, who is an, an incredible guitar player, played with Def Leppard, mm -hmm. Trickster, Dennis DeYoung. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's a, an incredible uh, and a producer. I mean, those Trickster records are Tokyo Motor Fist. <laughs> Yeah. Tokyo Motor Fist with my my best friend in the whole wide world, Ted Ted Poli. I we can't even say it. Poli. I know. Yep. Anyway, learn the solo, son. Get that crowd. You know, the crowd's watching you now. Listen, it's going to be on Facebook later, and everybody's going to be like, "Steve, what? Why can't you just learn? Maybe he can't learn the solo. We should challenge him. Let's see if he can yeah. do it." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what one time he goes, uh, we "We're playing this gig and." And he had it down, you know, he had it down and I'm watching, I'm going, yeah. And he's like, they uh, uh, choked because I, he goes, you're freaking me out now. Now I can't learn it, you know? Uh, anyway, but I'm like, I put my own stamp on it, bro. No one cares about that solo. With <laughs> you now, bro. Hey, bro, the world knows now. <laughs> yep. See? There you go. And uh, hopefully we'll get you up to Montreal at some point. Yep. Get you back over here. Can't just be with Avantasia. We need to have the whole, yeah. uh, you okay. know, Eric Martin with with tr Trickster experience. Yeah, we need the experience. The Avantasia thing, you know, we, oh, yeah. we come to America once in a while. So I'm in this rock opera uh, with uh, Tobias Sammet, who's a singer for a band called mm -hmm. Guy from Germany. And all... and. 
great power metal band. I don't know if they even were not power metal. Okay, I don't know, but it's metal. And uh, and it's six, seven singers, and they're all from all over the world. And the three Americans are Adrian Adrian Cowan, who's a metal singer, Jeff Tate, Wayne's Reich. Nice, nice. Probably can't say it now. And uh, and then moi, you know, the, I, I, I don't have any idea why I'm in this metal world, but I fit in pretty, pretty cool for the last, well, for a long, long time. You know, well, that show in Montreal was was spectacular. Just oh, it's dude. I've got I've played Vakken uh, three times with these guys. Oh, the big, that, that's gotta metal, be nuts! Heavy metal festival in the world, and we're headliners. I, I'm I'm so lucky. I love it. Yep. We need to go and check that out, Mitch. Next time, let's go to Vakken with Eric Martin. Yeah. No, you you wouldn't think you wouldn't think so. You know, probably when I come out, they're like, you know. Mr. Big, what's that guy doing here? And I've talked. Nails it every time. I slay them. Kills it. <laughs> Kills it. <laughs> now, I know we're running out of time, and, and we haven't spent Call any it. time talking about Kiss, but we'll keep that for the next one. Yeah, we'll save it for the Kiss. next one. Well, what, yeah. You're going to talk to me about Kiss, like my knowledge of Kiss? I have oh. no knowledge. Gene Simmons came to a gig of mine one time, Universal Amphitheater, and he was backstage. It was our fans backstage. We're like, oh, God, you guys are so good. And he kept walking in the door, telling stories and basically pushed out of the circle again. Nice. (laughs) I was talking to David Coverdale. Aren't you the Chinese chicken fellow? Chinese chicken salad. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I hope the next time I do see him, he goes, really? Oh, Really? <laughs> I heard you talking about me on that oh, podcast. Yes. Hey, but you heard me say that, you know, he's one of my heroes. So hey. well, Mr. Coverdale is one of the greatest singers ever. Period. Get All on. right. I'll eat this pander fest, Mitch. Oh, yes. There you go. He'll, <laughs> you'll eat that. All right. Eric. <laughs> Eric, it's so great to meet you. We'll do this again. Let's do it. Yeah, Thank you, sir. Absolutely. All right, we'll see you later. An all-new episode of the Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews, bonus content, and episodes on demand now. Visit youtube.com slash Jeremy White Show. Follow Mitch and Jeremy on Twitter. Yeah, they're verified. At Mitch LaFon and at Jeremy White MTL.